When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Talking about a huge issue here is investment in marginalized communities. They want to deconstruct this package and cherry pick what they like and what they don't like. China is surging forward with major investments. Bloomberg Sound On. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. Biden has promised again and again that he will unite the country. Who do you think Biden has to watch in terms of moderate defectors? Infrastructure has always been bipartisan. Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Sound On. I'm Jeannie Shanzano, and I'm here today with the always wonderful Roger Fisk. In a few minutes, we're going to hear from White House National Climate Advisor Gina McCarthy. Then later, we're going to be speaking with two Congress people from different sides of the aisle, Representative French Hill of Arkansas and Haley Stevens of Michigan. Our Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio audience welcomes Gina McCarthy, White House National Climate Advisor. Gina, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, good to see the president there touring that Ford plant, looking at a battery-powered Ford F-150. Talk to us about his ambitious plan. What has the president already done and what does he plan to do to stop or even reverse the effects of climate change? Well, the good news about today is he spent a little bit of time in Dearborn, Michigan. Uh, he went to the Ford EV Center to really look at showing people what the newest F-150 looks like. It's electric. And it was a great opportunity for him to talk about the plans that he has in the United States for winning the future. Uh, he wants to make sure that we recognize that electric vehicles are the future and that his American Jobs Plan has all of the elements in it that will allow that future to be won by the United States of America. When he was at that Dearborn plant, he was standing with, uh, with United Auto Workers, union workers who were making that plant, that, who were making that vehicle. And that vehicle was made with parts that were built in 20 different states in the United States of America. We're talking about batteries now being manufactured in America. You know, the president is concerned that China is far ahead of us in the electric vehicle market, and instead of producing the technologies of the future, we're importing them from somewhere else. It is time for that to shift around. So the president has an American jobs plan where he's looking to invest more than $170 billion, and he's going to build out the electric charging stations that we 
need for consumers to buy these vehicles and feel confident that they can get where they want to go and back again. He's looking at um, actually providing consumer rebates at the point of sale. He's looking for low interest loans, grants, and other opportunities to work with battery manufacturing so that we steal that supply chain back to the United States again instead of ceding it to other countries. And he's looking at opportunities to continue to advance, not just in the electric vehicle sector, but in other sectors, to show that the United States, following this pandemic, we are going to not ask for sacrifice for our people. We're going to design a plan that gets our people right in the mix of the best union jobs that they can have. And we're going to grow those jobs and we're going to grab the manufacturing sector back again right here in the United States. The president's plan calls for $700 billion in infrastructure improvements, including the electric car charging structure, which you mentioned. Yep. But there is no legislation at this point moving through Congress to get the necessary funding and regulations for this plan. What is the administration doing about that? Well, there are actually a number of a number of pieces of legislation that looks to support parts of the American Jobs Plan. But the president really wanted to put together this two trillion dollar plan to show that we are actually going to be back on track to capture the future again. He wants an investment that's right size for this moment, a once in a generation investment. And that's what this represents. It's not only just looking at electric charging stations. It's looking at making trans the transmission grid system work so renewable energy is available all across the United States. It's investment in our water and our wastewater infrastructure. It's going to repair roads and bridges. It's going to look at the kind of investments in America that you expect a president to make who cares about people and knows that it's not about sacrifice. It's about hope and opportunity that this moment brings. And he's going to capture it. So you're absolutely right. There's numbers of pieces of legislation over there that have not passed, but he's sitting even today. We have folks sitting together, Democrats and Republicans, looking at what we can put together um, with bi in a bipartisan way to move this, this plan forward. But this president has made it very clear that this plan needs to be bold, it needs to be big, and it needs to meet this moment in time. But if Republicans were a bit uh, sort of not that excited about the, the, the jobs plan, the reaction was a bit muted. At what point then does the president move forward with uh, Democrats in the majority um, with his plan? Well, the point is not now. Uh, the point right now is to work with Republicans as best we can, and then the president will make a decision on what to do next. But I think we all know that President Biden has been uh, in office for a long time working across the aisle. He's hoping to do that once again, but he's not going to wait forever. He knows that this is a moment in time when we have to invest. And he's looking at everything from investments in broadband. I mean, the traditional views of investment just don't work anymore. Our country needs to grab back the future for ourselves to build some strong union, good-paying jobs. We've lost more than 22 million jobs over the course of this pandemic. The president's not going to ask for sacrifice. He's going to invest in the American people. That's what this is all about, and that's why he's so anxious to get it moving forward. 
Now, less gasoline means less gas tax. And I wonder, would you consider a per mile tax on electric cars to cover all of these, this new mileage that will be covered by a, a, a mass electric fleet? Well, thankfully, that's uh, not within my bailiwick. Uh, we'll all decide how to make sure that we get the resources we need for states to actually maintain their roads and bridges. Right now, the federal government, through this president's leadership, is looking at re-energizing our ability to actually fix those old roads and bridges. And I'm sure there'll be discussion at the state level about how to support that moving forward. But right now, the goal is to look at the, the terrific technologies we have available in the transportation sector to invest in, in transit again, to get rid of those dirty buses, especially school buses, to take a look at how we get those old diesel trucks off the road, and yes, to build an electric vehicle infrastructure so that we can capture that market. Okay. Now, speaking of electric cars, Elon Musk, who, of course, is the CEO of Tesla, has been very vocal about the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining, though he has and Tesla has invested in Bitcoin itself. Are you concerned about the energy consumed by crypto mining, given how much the market has exploded? And are you thinking about this from a policy perspective? Of course, we're thinking about every sort of energy consumption that we have in the United States because we need to, right now, this decade, invest in how to turn that around. We do have a climate crisis that we owe it to our children to tackle. And so you're right to look at every opportunity that we can to actually reduce those greenhouse gas emissions. Now, I won't speak specifically to that issue at hand, but I will say that we're looking at how to, how to look at every sector of our economy and meet our commitment that we made to the international community when we rejoined Paris, which is how we can cut our greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030. And that's a task that we're taking seriously. We've looked at every sector, including the mining sector, the oil and gas sector. We looked at, at our transportation sector. We looked at housing and how we can move forward. And the good news is that we have tremendous opportunities for deployment of already existing technology that can get, help us get that, that reduction that we so desperately need to show the world that we are back in action in the United States. We're going to provide international leadership. But there is no doubt that the challenge of climate change is big. And fixing it is going to take investments. And that's why the president is out in front and hoping to move forward that with this level of investment that will get us some reductions this decade, which we need. And then we'll move forward with research and development on innovative technologies that can get us over the finish line by 2050. All right. Well, on behalf of our Bloomberg TV and radio audiences, thank you so much. Gina McCarthy there, White House National Climate that was Bloomberg Technologies' Emily Chang speaking with White House climate czar Gina McCarthy in a really fascinating interview that touched on a lot of issues, particularly some of the things that Joe Biden had to say, President Biden has to say, during his visit to Michigan today. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and I am joined by Roger Fisk, 
Democratic strategist and longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. And Roger, I know you've been listening here along with me. What's your reaction to some of what Gina McCarthy had to say about the president's trip today? Well, first off, Jeannie, it's wonderful to be here with you. And I look back with great fondness when you and I first appeared together with Rick Davis. And that was a wonderful conversation. And I and I will make every effort to make a second installment in that um, here this evening. Um, obviously, they have a very clear vision of where they want to go. And I think what you heard her say left somewhat unresolved is exactly what components of existing legislative vehicles are going to be stitched together to really make this kind of a robust kind of singular push. Um, but I think they they know where they want to go. And now it's really just kind of blocking and tackling some of the legislative steps that's going to allow them to get there. And I think that, you know, then they have to really reach out and, and see if they can peel off some Republican votes. So now the hard part starts. That's right. And, and one of the things that um, uh, McCarthy said was the plan needs to be bold, it needs to be big, and it needs to meet the time. And I think Emily asked her the absolute on-point question, which I'm going to throw to you. Does that mean it is now time to move forward without Republicans? Well, I think the, the president is sincere when he wants to reach out. I mean, that, I think he's demonstrated that throughout his career and um, ended up working on a variety of bills um, that he actually had to uh, face some pretty tough questions on during the primaries, as we can all remember. But there's a calendar component to this, right? If you go all the way back just to look at the last four or five presidents, the tax cuts of President Reagan, the Americans with Disabilities Act with President Bush Sr., um, the deficit reduction steps of President Clinton, uh, the tax cuts of President Bush and then Obamacare for President Obama, all of those things, at least domestically and legislatively, happened in the first two years. And I think these folks are acutely aware of the fact that whatever they're going to get done is not necessarily even in the first two years. It's this year because we get into next year and then the calendar starts to orient itself around the midterms. Right. And then you're going to see some of the uh, Democrats that are in swing districts needing to create a little bit of space as they head into their cycle and things like that. So I think they're very aware of the fact that the driving achievements of the Obama or rather of the Biden administration are really going to happen this year. And that's something we've seen in the modern presidency. Um, as you mentioned, very difficult after year one, maybe year one and a half, if you're lucky, to get those big bills through. So you're right to mention they're in a push. And that's why we hear people like Nancy Pelosi and others giving what I think of our fairly early dates of July. But I do think they, they know that the, the clock is ticking. Um, as I've been talking to Roger, um, we were talking about the president being in Michigan today. And we do have some sound on what he had to say. He was talking about the fact that we need to reposition auto workers and other workers to take on jobs and new technologies like electric vehicles. He was sounding the alarm about how far China has come in renewable technologies and electric vehicles. We have sound on that. They think they're going to win. But I got news for them. They will not win this race. We can't let them. We have to move fast. And that's what you're doing here. President Biden also said that we are in a race for the future and we cannot afford rather to fall behind. We have sound on that.
real question is whether we'll lead or we'll fall behind in the race to the future, or whether we'll build these vehicles and the batteries that go in them here in the United States to rely on other countries, or whether the jobs to build these vehicles and batteries are good-paying union jobs with benefits, jobs that will sustain and grow the middle class. So, Roger, one of the things I noted was that, of course, there's several sticking points, as we were just talking about, between Democrats and Republicans. What is infrastructure being one of them? Another, of course, how to pay for it. And Secretary Janet Yellen was before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce today making the case that, as the president has been saying, we need to increase taxes on the wealthy and corporations. But I'm not convinced they're making much headway there. What is your view on this payment issue and whether, in fact, the administration can move the needle with Republicans on this? Well, it's very interesting, right, because for the last four years, one of the central principles of the Republican Party being uh, an aversion to deficit spending, spending and growing our debt seemed to kind of go into a bit of a limbo, and and they were relatively muted when it came to more borrowing and things like that. So they have to kind of try to gently pivot, or at least gracefully, and try to bring back those fiscal restraint kind of instincts as if they've been there all along, and ideally sidestep the idea of having to explain why they were asleep for four years. To the president's credit, um, he did essentially lay this out in the campaign, exactly how he was going to fund it. And it's interesting because uh, in one sense, and the market reacts in different ways to this as well, when a, a large proposal like this is laid out, then there's obviously kind of supply chain optimism and any number of other things that come about around it. And then all of a sudden it's going to be financed by borrowing. Then that comes back around and takes some of the wind out of that sales. But then if it comes around and the, and the funding mechanism is going to be taxes, then that has a, a, a secondary impact as well. Um, I, I, would, I, would, I would suggest, I guess, that the more sober and, and responsible path is to at least lay out how you're going to play, pay for it so you don't get the country in more debt. But it'll be very interesting because um, how this is going to play out, and you're going to get down to you know the, the, the district by district kind of number of jobs and things like that that are going to get a piece of the pie. You heard Ms. McCarthy talk about how 20 states source that Ford F-150. And I think we can both agree, you know, knowing modern lobbying and, and modern sourcing as we do, that the, that the districts that represent those 20 states and where those parts are coming from have been very specifically chosen. And I bet you could cross-reference them with some very influential committee seats on, on Capitol Hill. It's a really good point. And Roger, I know you are going to be just as happy as I am because we have a Congressman French Hill on the line. He is from Arkansas 2nd District. And Congressman Hill, it's always a pleasure to talk to you on Bloomberg Radio. And just talking here with 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 my uh, co-host here today, Roger Fisk, um, about some of the president's comments today in Michigan as it pertains to his infrastructure bill and how they're going to pay for it. Um, did you have any reaction to either the president's trip to Michigan today or to Secretary Yellen's comments before the U.S. Chamber of Commerce? Well, Jeannie, it's good to be with you and uh, enjoyed hearing Roger's comments. I think the issue on infrastructure for both Democrats and Republicans is precisely the definition of infrastructure. Republicans in both the House and Senate 
are focused on that more traditional definition of surface transportation. In the president's original proposal, his grand uh, proposal, uh, it was principally not surface transportation. It was mostly an approach that everything's uh, Green New Deal, Green New Deal related. So uh, the Senate Republicans and House Republicans are talking about something that's much more surface transportation oriented, and. I think the issue of pay force, which you just talked about, is something that should be considered and talked about very carefully on a bipartisan basis, because that, too, is controversial, not among Republicans and Democrats, but inside the Republican or or the Democratic caucus, where they're fighting over granting new tax breaks for uh, the wealthy in both California and in New York as an essential component. And and Congressman Hill, before we bring Roger in here, you just said the word of the day, which is bipartisanship. And I wanted to ask you if you could say a few words about the bill that you pushed for that passed the House unanimously today, speaking of bipartisanship, the SAVE Act. And I have to say, in my reading, it does something government doesn't seem to do enough, which is think ahead. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about this piece of legislation you've been pushing for. Well, I introduced it originally in early in the pandemic last April, a year ago, and I worked on it with my friend from California, Juan Vargas, a Democrat who represents uh, his home of San Diego. And it does. It insists on planning, using the Defense Production Act, on doing strategic planning so that we're better prepared the next time we face a nationwide public health pandemic like we did. America was unprepared. Uh, this time uh, in the spring of 2020. I said it's like being uh, at low tide with no bathing suit on. We were caught without sufficient supplies, sufficient supply chain. The SAVE Act uh, has the DPA, the Defense Production Act, a strategic plan for medical supplies, both PPE and the critical pharmaceutical components and medical devices. And I remember that very, very well. And Roger, in the minute we have left, because I know we we have always restricted time, but but Roger, can can you just follow up on some of what you were talking about before the congressman joined us? Well, yeah, and Congressman, thank you so much. Um, One of the things in international trade uh, that people don't understand is how much non-legislative things impact our trade relationships. You've worked a lot on China uh, being categorized as a developing country with the World Bank. Maybe you could share a little bit with our listeners why that matters and and what you're doing. And I'm so sorry, Congressman, we'll have to be brief because we have a hard out in one minute. (laughs) You bet. No, Roger brings up a good point, which is on a bipartisan basis, we want more accountability on China's role in the multilateral development banks like the IMF and the World Bank. We believe China is the largest creditor with the largest current account surplus should graduate from a developing country status. That's important in the multilateral lending, and it's important as it relates to the climate debate. Thank you, Congressman Hill, and what a fabulous work you've done on that bill you had passed unanimously today. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. 
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. And I am Jeannie Shanzano here with Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist and longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Um, We learned on Friday that the leaders of the Homeland Security Committee, Chairman Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, and Representative John Katko of New York, the top Republican on the panel, had agreed on legislation to create a 10-member commission to investigate the January 6 riots, and they were supposed to issue a report by December 31st. And one of the key questions that remained at that time was whether House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy would support the bill. And we got an answer on that today, as Kevin McCarthy said he opposed the legislation to create the commission. And we should note it is a commission which some lawmakers have suggested he could be subpoenaed as a witness before. In a statement, McCarthy criticized Speaker Pelosi, saying she took too much time time and was, quote, playing political games. We also then heard from Leader McConnell in talking to reporters. He said he was noncommittal and claimed to be concerned that such a commission could jeopardize the prosecutions of present and possible suspects. And we have sound on that. Would the January 6th commission in any way interfere with the um, criminal uh, investigations and the law enforcement activities? We also heard from Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, who talked about Republicans' opposition to this investigation. We have sound on that. Republicans can let their constituents know. Are they on the side of truth? Or do they want to cover up for the insurrectionists and for Donald Trump? So, Roger, what do you make of this back and forth on the commission? I have to say I was a bit surprised that this bill that John Katko pushed so hard for and worked in a bipartisan manner to get done or at least get put uh, up for a vote uh, is meeting with opposition from his own leader. Right. I mean, and, and also Representative Kako is going in that direction, while another representative, Representative Stefanik, is going in the opposite direction, gravitating more towards um, being an absolutist supporter of the president. I mean, this is this is high drama. And I think when you reduce it to its essence, it, you can't answer the question of why would someone resist knowing the truth about what happened without then bringing into play motives and when people don't want to know something, um, they can put a lot of time and effort into not knowing something, right? Because I think for a lot of these folks, specifically the minority minority leader, as you mentioned, this doesn't end anywhere good. And you could end up in situations where people like Senator Lee and Senator Tuberville have to talk about how they were actually on the phone with the former president at 2.15 or 2.30 that afternoon twice during the insurrection. Uh, and what that was like for them, uh, you know, to be talking to the president while uh, these people are, are attacking the Capitol. Um, so this is not, you know, sunlight is not going to be favorable to this dynamic. 
But at the same time, I think they they have to have some kind of official record of this because if there's not some kind of punctuation on this situation, then it just kind of continues on and you just end up with a huge constellation of theories and conclusions about what happened rather than something official that at least kind of punctuates the dynamic once and for all. So, so Roger, in your estimation, how much of McCarthy's uh, opposition and McConnell's, you know, non-committal uh, view has to do with this issue of subpoenas? Um, these were supposed to be bipartisan, uh, this was supposed to be a bipartisan commission. They had to agree on the subpoenas. Do you think that that is, is what is really uh, stalling this? I, it could very well be. I mean, the, the the mindset of the Republican leadership is relatively opaque to me, right? So I'm probably not very much of a of a of a seer in that regard. But we know from uh, various accounts of the phone call between the former president and the minority leader that afternoon that ended up being contentious, which now the minority leader has been walking back, just as he's been walking back his statements about the former president's roles and responsibilities leading into. January 6th. In the days after, he was very comfortable saying that there was a clear um, line of responsibility and then has been walking that back kind of ever since, just as he right after the election said that um, the former president had actually won and, you know, in numerous interviews. So, I, you know, this if these folks end up being put under some kind of legal obligation to answer questions from their colleagues, and you get someone like a Jamie Raskin or someone like that up there who's a constitutionalist and also an excellent interrogator, it, it, it's, it's not going to go well for them. And Roger, I just wanted to move to another part of the world um, with the conflict going on between Israel, Palestine, the president, President Biden has been under pressure from some Democrats who say that he has not been as forceful as he should be vis-a-vis Israel. Um, Jen Psaki, press secretary, was asked about this on Air Force One, specifically why the U.S. hasn't supported a U.N. Security Council resolution to stop the fighting. She said that uh, the statement wouldn't have produced a ceasefire, and we have sound on that. Our role in this conflict is to ensure that every conversation we're having, every statement we support, every action we take is toward the end goal of, of ending the violence on the ground to, re, to ending the suffering of the Israeli and Palestinian people. We're not going to take actions or steps that we think would hinder that effort. So, Roger, we have like 20 seconds left. Um, very briefly, what do you think Democrats, the progressives, are going to have to say about that kind of reaction? Well, I think in the short term, just bringing, bringing the temperature down and reducing the violence and the loss of human life has to be the goal. And I think the Biden administration, or at least Secretary Blinken, should join with the foreign ministers of the EU calling for a ceasefire. Oh, thank you for doing that quickly, Roger. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On on Bloomberg Radio. Mr. President. This stuff is quick. How does it, How's it drive? drive? We're going zero to 60 in about 4.3. 4.4? Right. 4.4? Well, we haven't released it. Four. 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 Mr. President, how fast were you going? Okay, I'm just going to step on it. I'll come off at 80 miles an hour. You'll see what it is, okay? 
I'm Jeannie Shanzano, along with Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist and longtime President Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. And joining us on the line is an old friend of Roger's, Congresswoman Haley Stevens of the 11th District of Michigan. And Congresswoman, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I don't know if you could hear that sound of the president going zero to 60 and 4.4, I think he said. I've not test driven those, have you? I haven't gotten a chance to test drive it either, but it looked like he was having a blast. <laughs> I'm jealous. I want to be out there. Um, I, I don't know if, if you are out there, um, if you were in D.C. today or out there, but obviously the president in your neck of the woods today. What did you hear from the president and, and um, as to where we are in terms of repositioning auto workers to take these new technology jobs? Yeah, and I, look, I was absolutely uh, delighted to welcome the president to Michigan today. I was with him at the plant and uh, able to um, uh, hear his remarks live. And I think it was one, and an inspiring, but a, a realistic message about what the backbone of America is made on, which is the American workforce. If you hear him live, Talking about the American worker and seeing all the union members in the the room today, it gave me the chill. It was remarkable. And he was honest. He said, look, we've got to tackle climate change. But the way I see climate change is opportunity and jobs. And so that's a big part of his American jobs plan. This is a part of what I'm working on in Congress. And I'm so thrilled to have an administration to work alongside on behalf of Michigan. And Representative, I know we have uh, somebody who also worked with the Obama administration, Roger Fisk, on the line with us, and I know he has a question for you. Representative, thanks so much for joining us. I I always love getting uh, elected officials to just talk about their state, but talk a little bit about what this technology means and what a prosperous Michigan means for the upper Midwest and, and America in general. Well, look, everywhere I go, Roger, and it's true, every Monday I do what's called Manufacturing Monday in my district. I visit with a small to mid-sized manufacturer, most of the time connected to the automotive industry, and they are all innovating. They are thinking about the future. Their eyes are on the future. They're tied in with electric vehicle technology, those advancements, all of this, by the way, while we're still in the pandemic. I mean, this is what is absolutely remarkable about Ford Motor Company's uh, forthcoming announcement with the electric Ford F-150, plus certainly what we see with electric vehicle technology and on. I will, I'll say that there's a transformation taking place in automotive. There were times uh, when I was out campaigning, Roger, and I'd try and say hi to people in the coffee shop, and they weren't from Michigan. They were here on business. They were here trying to cut into the deal that was taking place here. And that's also, I think, something to pay note of because 10, 12 years ago, we were in a recession. We were making our way out of a recession. There was a lot of question around what was going to happen to our supply chain. And it's stronger than ever. And it's also all tied to our pandemic response. So we've got open jobs. We're ready for people to get back to work, get vaccinated. These are safe and exciting and vibrant environments. And it's really all happening here. So as you can tell, Roger, I'm pretty fired up. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And then one of the things we hear about quite a bit is the skill gap. Obviously, you have have businesses that need workers. You have people looking for jobs. What kind of initiatives are underway in Michigan in terms of community colleges and vocational high schools 
to get that next generation of workers ready? We have some of the crown jewels here in Michigan. I'm going to plug my district with Schoolcraft College. They partnered up with a millwork company over the last year, started a new certification program for them. Again, right out of the college, Schoolcraft just opened up a new manufacturing workforce training center. There is more demand from the small businesses that are looking to hire than the than the school can currently meet right now. So I've devoted really my life's work to recruiting, uh, to promoting manufacturing jobs and uh, light industrial jobs, what we've got even in construction and truck driving. And, 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 and look, let me, let me also paint a realistic picture for you because these are industries that have experienced workforce shortages and skills gaps for a long time that has been exacerbated in the pandemic. So it's very exciting to see a president come to town and herald our automotive workers, herald our skilled trades. And and I was talking to an iron worker today at the site, and he said, we are so busy. He goes, I have hundreds of guys in the apprenticeship programs, too. And something like Schoolcraft, Roger, they've got the unions at the table. So we are on the move in terms of plugging people in to training programs and employment opportunities. It's here. We need you. It's time to get back to work. Well, Representative Stevens, I love the manufacturing Mondays. My niece lives in Michigan, so when I get out there to see her and her family at some point, I'm going to hit one of those up. Um, let me ask you, before uh, earlier in the show, uh, Bloomberg Technologies' Emily Chang was speaking with the White House climate czar, Gina McCarthy, um, and I know this is something near and dear to your heart, is climate. What do you think the administration needs to do to get ahead of climate, and can the administration and or Democrats in Congress act by themselves if they can't get Republicans to go along? Yeah. And and look, Gina McCarthy is a is, is a total pro here and she exemplifies the approach that we need to take, which is all of government. And that's why it's so essential to have her in a White House role coordinating across a multitude of agencies. You know, if this is just happening in the EPA and the Department of Energy, we're not doing the job. This is all hands on deck. I mean, you look at, I'm on the Education and Labor Committee, and of course, we're talking about on the labor side, green jobs. But on the school side, we're also talking about the modernizing of our schools to hit some of our sustainability goals. So certainly, you know, it, we need to be coordinated, all hands on deck. I just passed a bipartisan bill through my subcommittee on the House Science Committee to double U.S. scientific research. We now do have Republicans who are leaning in and coming to the table because they want to compete. They want to see us lead the way. And and some of this, right, where you, you saw President Trump repeat, remove us from the uh, Paris Climate Accords, much much to uh, the upset of many, including myself, that just can't be the way forward, right? We have to be at the table to leave the table. And if we're not at the table and if we're uh, pushing ourselves into a corner of a room, waving a sword around, well, you can just imagine what that looks like. So in part, what you heard President Biden say today is America is back. Don't bet against America. And we are going to proliferate and create the technologies that are going to address climate change. And we're doing this at scale 
around a variety of measures. I could go on, but I know I've only got a few minutes on your incredible show here today. So <laughs> thank you, though. I, no, I love hearing. I love the energy. I, you know, one of the things that Gina McCarthy said to, to Emily Chang was that the plan, as you've outlined, needs to be bold, big, and it needs to meet the time. But Emily followed up by asking her a question that I think is on a lot of Americans' minds, which is, at what point does the administration do Democrats move forward without Republicans if they can't agree on things like how we're going to pay for this and how big to go and how we define infrastructure uh, and all those sort of basic things? Well, let me say this, because there are individuals who are in Republican leadership, um, particularly Mitch McConnell comes to mind, where it's a grand resistance. It's a big effort of just doing nothing. And we saw this in a COVID-19 response. We got the CARES Act. Anything after that was no, 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 until we were pushed to the brink. We come in. We know we need to do a rescue plan. We know it was the right thing to do. It was endorsed by a handful of Republican mayors, including my own Republican mayor, Brian Barnett of Rochester Hills, the most recent past president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And I was really holding my breath around that vote. This is different than climate change, but I was holding my breath around that vote just thinking, I have a feeling we're going to get a few. And even after the vote, it was, oh, my gosh, I really came so close to voting for it, but I didn't. But now I'm going to go and take credit for it. And I think what you see with Democrats time and time again is we are not afraid to lead. We are not afraid to make the decisions and put the policies forward. I came home and people were sort of, you know, asking, well, you know, what about this being bipartisan? And we were wondering about that. And then we said, hey, we're getting unity through delivery. We're getting a shot in people's arms. We're getting our local elected officials. So when it comes down to what we're going to have to do, with the next phase of this and what we're doing, the American Jobs Plan, I, I do think that we're working. It's, it's a different set of policies. It's a different circumstance, certainly. But but and we're going to work to get people along. But we're also not going to wait. And if you're going to listen to Mitch McConnell, you're going to be you're you're, you're going to be left behind. Congresswoman Stevens, it is such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking a time on this very busy day that you're spending with the president. And I want to thank so much all of my guests, including the fabulous Roger Fisk, longtime Obama aide, principal at New Day Strategy. I am Jeannie Shanzano, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.